In this episode, I talk about taking our games virtual in these unique and difficult times, and we have the first of a two-part review of Monster Island, plus all the usual segments relating to everything Mithras. Welcome to the Mithras Matter Podcast, Season 1, Episode 12, Islands, Monsters and the Internet. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host, Inwills, and first of all, I feel like I should be apologizing yet again for the lack of an episode last month. Thank you for all the kind words you sent my way on the forums. These were very much appreciated. As we start to get into the flow of a different way of living and working, I am feeling more on top of my projects. So, as you can probably tell because you are listening to it now, I made the deadline for episode 12. Hooray! Other projects which are back on track include the Rules video series on YouTube. The series on the Animist is complete, although I'm definitely planning on coming back to interact with spirits again when I do a more in-depth look at spirit combat and probably designing spirits again. And probably by the time you are listening to this, I will have been able to record, edit and produce a requested video about ranged weapons in the game. Now, something else which has been continuing in the real world has been our weekly Mithras campaign. So let's touch base with our favourite characters, in the campaign updates. I sometimes like to focus adventures on specific characters. And although the current one is focusing on that brave young sorcerer Gulliver as the party journey to the Dark Tower, the actual play videos of these sessions are available on YouTube. We have actually completed a whole adventure while we've been away. Hengis, who the adventure was focused on, was originally a noble knight, and I thought it was about time that he started to take up his place in the nobility of Lindo, the capital city of Odes, where the campaign takes place. Now, if you're familiar with Lindo, you will be aware that the nobility like to live on Noble Hill, where they can self-righteously look down on the working class. The slums are, of course, one level lower than the main town. Hengis has his own house on the hill and has con- and his contact for information within the legwork part of the game comes from his trusty manservant, who did have a different name, but has recently just been adopted as Alfred. Every year, there is a great boar hunt in Lindo, where the three noble houses, House Galot, 
House Macduff and House Emery compete to kill the granddaddy of all boars, Tusker. Hengist was invited to join all the houses, and after careful considerations of each of the houses' backgrounds, these are on my website if you're interested, inwills.co.uk, he chose to become a member of House Galot. The party got dressed up in their finest clothes, demonstrating that fashion is just as important as combat in RPGs, and they headed off to a series of social events. Now, during one of these, as facts and plots were uncovered, Lord Ashton, head of House Galot, um,'s wife, Lady Harmony Lee, employed the party to deal with certain death threats against her. With the rich and famous being involved, rival houses and death threats, the scene was set for an intriguing adventure. Now, highlights from the adventure include the fashion of the social gatherings, saving a dandy fella from a group of ruffians, breaking someone's heart, and in the final episode, one of the characters standing alone against a crew of assassins. Oh, and just to make things interesting, someone came face to face with an old adversary, and there were deaths. Hengist played his part wonderfully, and the story continues even if in this recent adventure that we started, with him receiving petals through the post. The mine boggles. If you would like to see what happened, then you can find the full video on my YouTube channel where you can find actual play videos, selected highlights and my adventure reflections. Oh, and if you're interested in reading my adventure notes, then they are available on my website inwills.co.uk. I've said that twice in this episode. Sorry, they are free, but feel free to donate something to my content creator dream fund if you are able. I just wanted to remind you that this podcast would not happen without everyone's contributions. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then just drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. You can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. Okay, next up, a couple of favourite contributors who you have craved about in the past. Yes, that dynamic duo have agreed to come back and share their thoughts with you. Initially, Bill contributed in the second episode ever with a great review of the wetlands. And this time he has joined forces with the homebrew expert, Rael, to complete a review on the fantastic supplement Monster Island. So, without further ado, I am pleased to welcome back both Bill and Rael. Take it away. Hello, everybody. This is Raleel. I am the colonial voice that you'll hear on on this uh, talk. We're going to be talking about Monster Island. On the other hand, I've got Bill Harzia. Did I say that right? I, that's how I always say it in my head. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Or uh, just Bill is fine. So I'm Bill on the Discord primarily. 
and other other places, I guess. Yes, I think I think either one of us, you can Google our names and are in six different places. So we're going to talk about Monster Island today. We talked about Monster Island in an incredible amount on the on the forums and the discords and in our favorite parts of it and the, and the things that really stand out for us. You know, I think I think one of the neat things about Monster Island is it, is it leads off with the inspirations. This is not Appendix N that's buried at the end of a Dungeon Master Guide or something like that. It's right up at the front. All the sword and sorcery stuff is, is where, where it really derives from. You can really feel that pulp sense from it. Where else do you feel the inspirations come from there, Bill Harzia? Yeah, just a couple of things. I mean, one is... If people weren't aware, it is stated in the book, but it's Clark Ashton Smith. So every chapter, in fact, of the of the book starts with a quote from Clark Ashton Smith. He was a, a contemporary of Lovecraft and of Robert E. Howard, and he wrote, I think his was the weirdest fiction. Uh, so he wrote in the weird fiction genre. Yeah, he also he also wrote some poetry, and I yeah. started I just started reading that not too long ago. Actually, I yeah. never picked it up before. Yeah, his uh, if people are interested. Much of his writing is on a site called Eldritch Dark. Ah, uh, so uh, yes. His, his poetry and short stories uh, are certain. Most of them are certainly there. There's lots of there's lots of other influences there too, like Edgar Allan Burroughs. He did, he did Tarzan, right? If I remember right. Yeah. And you can definitely feel the pulpy Tarzan sort of thing that is going on yes. throughout Monster Island. The jungle plays an important part of it. You can also hear Robert E. Howard's voice in there yeah. uh, as, as you're reading through this entire thing. You can definitely see how Conan might be traipsing through this jungle <laughs> or, or going across the plateau yeah. uh, plateaus or climbing up the side of a mountain. Yeah. Uh, I've heard read quite a bit of Robert E. Howard stuff, and and yeah. uh, it definitely has that feel like you'd be climbing up a cliff and coming up over the top, and you're looking down into a valley, and you see an ancient city sitting right down there, yeah, uh, waiting to be explored. Yeah, some I mean, some of the locations are very reminiscent of Conan or of the places that Conan might just stumble into. Very much so. Like the, I mean, that kind of kind of leads us to where you know the geography of the island mm. and how important that is um i mean there there's why you said there's four calderas on on the island yes so they're, and, they're sort of overlapping calderas yeah oh yeah and a, a huge area in the back that is surrounded by mountains and is what's essentially blasted wasteland out there isn't it yeah i'm just looking at the um the map now so the the puna or puna plateau in the the kind of northeast of the island is effectively some kind of desert which is hot cloudless no rainfall which is very very different from the rest of the island really and that Absolutely. that forms one of the one of the is, is effectively one of the calderas and that's the highest part of the island yes and it, it, and it conveniently has a, a place right to explore in the middle yeah um, <laughs> there, there's essentially no terrain across the entire thing except for this one fortress that I'm sure you can see from the ring of mountains all around the thing. Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's... A, I don't know if that's the one that is supposed to be disguised by magic, but exactly what you see, I'm not sure if that's the same yeah, place. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either without without going and digging it up. But uh, yeah. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think it's really, really neat how, how, I mean, it just kind of begs for adventure there. 
Yes. And of, of course, of course, as you're coming down from those mountains, you you go through a range of climates. There's there's a cloud forest there. There's yep. an, even an entire ecosystem that is is somewhat detailed in the book. Yeah. Uh, and as you come down from those mountains into the jungle, uh, which of which is a real jungle. We're not we're not talking some. There's no dangers here. Jungle at all. No. Uh, this is <laughs> uh, no, and one what you know one of the things that the the book points out is, and it it may not be obvious, but the beginning chapter, which is just called the island, details all of this. There is a note there about heat stroke and armor, and you know depending on how interested you are in carefully scrutinizing encumbrance and you know armor penalty and that kind of thing which you may not be but when i did that i kind of worked out that effectively you can't wear any armor if you're moving through the jungle i shouldn't say that what i should say is that you will be you will face a penalty if you're wearing armor and it's almost any amount of armor is going to penalize you so you, you're going to be you're going to uh, endure a level of fatigue. This, of course, makes everything in the jungle much more dangerous than exactly. if yes. you could just walk yes. around in plate mail, right? Right, it, yes. It'd be wonderful. Yeah, I mean, you know, and jumping ahead a bit, there is, perhaps we'll get to that later, but there is there is a way around it, which doesn't kind of complete you get you out of it, but the, the herbs and drugs available on the island, you can use a combination of those to try and skirt this, this issue. There's two, actually, that you can use. One is this chewing stuff that you can chew to right. keep your kind of fatigue penalty down and then there's a there's something that you can smoke and that immediately alleviates some of the penalties so the combination of those two things now they do have their own penalties you can get around them so uh, that's something potentially for players to discover that you could oh, you know you, you could impose this if they're used to being adventurers that that do uh, stomp around in in very heavy armor or to some extent heavy armor, they're going to have a shock. But then it might be quite interesting to introduce them to all these, or a way of introducing all these substances might be well they can kind of figure out that oh is is there something that we can actually do? Well, I mean think think about how how that might be a, a great sort of reward for a party who brokers a negotiation with one of the tribes on the mm. I mean, the tribes are going to be an obvious choice for hey we know about this drug and how it how it reduces fatigue just put a little bit put a little bit of this root between your yeah. cheek and gums and and it'll really get out you know your fatigue yes um and suddenly suddenly now they're looking at and saying oh well you know now i can you now i can go through the jungle and protect myself a little bit better and that has some real value to me Yes, uh, exactly. And then, then they'll I kind think, of, you know, they'll think, oh, these, you know, I need to form better relations with these people because, you know, uh, it's going to get me through the jungle because they know actually oh, they know how to navigate I mean, it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there are so many, uh, so many interesting substances on the island that are yeah. there. I don't know. They're, they're what, 50 or 60 or something like that. That yeah. table is in, intense. Um, yes. Stuff that I wouldn't have even thought of. Um, I, I do have to, I do have to talk about my 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 particular favorite one. There, is that root that you can chew, and or consume, and it gives you back mana points. And and right. unfortunately, it ha it has some side effects. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I don't want to spoil the side effects, but um, they're serious. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to say, to say uh, and that's that's a theme, I think, in the campaign that almost applies to anything. Certainly magical items almost always have quite horrific drawbacks. But the drugs do as well. I mean, you, you can take drugs to help you, but at the same time, they're going to have drawbacks. I mean, the, the fatigue kind of managing drugs that I've talked about have fatigue penalties when, when the drug wears off fairly yes. predictably. Yes. But, so you've got to be careful with that, with that sort of stuff. Yes, and, and I, think, I think at least one of them has some addictive properties to that too. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to do something like bring in dependencies from Luther Arkwright... You know, if, if people start oh, using yeah. lots of this stuff, then you could potentially do that if, if you want to be, if you want to make life even more difficult for players. Yeah, nothing, nothing on the, nothing on the island is particularly, uh, particularly easy, I would say, except, except maybe uh, getting wounded or death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. There, 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 are, there are many options there. Many, many options. I think that's one thing that one of the cultures on the island is, is really designed to fight with i mean a lot of a lot of the module or a lot of the adventure supplement mm. what are we going to call it so we call it a supplement yeah um is built around uh, having colonists on this island and kind of progressing in and doing the exploration of that uh, much of the generic adventure seeds and and other other adventure seeds are kind of focused yeah. around that yeah um, but but that 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 one culture that colonist culture they come in they're foreigners they have foreign gods they practice theism. They they have a little bit different technology than the, than what is present on the island. And they're and they're pretty. It's a pretty flexible sort of culture. It's detailed enough to give you some idea there, but it's not like you couldn't take it from a medieval sort of setting and then move it to something in the future. Um, you know, maybe like a, a 40s pulp sort of thing. Maybe yeah. something you know that you might see at the mummy or or you know Doc Savage sort of business. Uh, certainly the names and the descriptions of the NPCs are all puns on actual historical figures, some of whom are explorers. So the two that come to mind are, they've got Harry Houdini and Percy Fawcett. Oh, yeah. And in fact... Arthur Doyle. Yeah, exactly. The writer. Um, Greystone, oh, yeah. who's a kind of Tarzan. There is a, there's a adventure suggestion where you're supposed to be looking for Greystone's son. So that's effectively kind of Tarzan. So there's a, there's a bit of a kind nice. of... Nice. Yeah, uh, there there are there are all sorts of there. all sorts of very obscure references throughout the book. Some of them, honestly, I found one of them just last month, and I had to go look it up. And it was it was an obscure reference to a, a particular issue of a White Dwarf magazine. Yeah, <laughs> and then I found that I found that online, and it was this great, very pulpy adventure in a jungle. And yeah. it's like, oh, that is absolutely perfect. Yep. It's, it's yeah that's the reference to one of the adventure locations there is so much of this in here for the colony um it is it is such a neat little section they have they have a a settlement called port grimsand that is conveniently very near some ruins and very near one of the mm. the lizard man tribes that are on on the island which mm. there are there's what like 12 tribes 13 tribes is it 13? yes yes there's quite a complex setup so i think you know that's one of the parts of the 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 campaign su supplement i think is is very well detailed they're all tied to totem animals and they all have different re different relationships with each other they do and and i you know that's why i think one of the things i really love about the tribes is is that just even having that chart of relationships between yeah. them and the fact that it's dynamic it's not just that they the tribes have their own individual culture within each tribe 
it's that they have a, a culture with, in relation to each other with how they do their warfare. Raiding is different than warfare, and yeah. killing is generally frowned upon, mm-hmm. um, in, unless it gets very serious, and, and how that is supported throughout the culture, right? Like, throughout even, even yeah. things like the combat styles. Like, only the warriors get, like, serious-edged <laughs> weapons, right? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things I've, done, I've started recently is a... Uh, so w- when I notice I've taken through a group of... I suppose what you might call standard adventurers who are uh, you know more or less in line with the colony you know what i noticed is it's quite difficult to involve uh, like a standard adventurer party with the tribal groups because they've got a completely different set of interests and, and standards i did start a uh, recently a small campaign where the where the pcs are members of the tribe and oh, neat. you know their interests are completely different and they're at the moment you know they're they don't know much about the colony uh, and their interests are entirely to do with their totem their relations with the other tribes their responsibilities their status so you know one of the pcs is trying to become a warrior by taking prisoners and that's basically what you have to do you have to bring back prisoners in order to qualify as a warrior yeah he's forbidden to use weapons <laughs> at least in the sight of the village he can't use weapons you know right um, right i mean he i think i think i think the 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 skirmishers get like blow guns and bolas or something yes, like that that's and, right yeah i think they get a sling often, so you know but no yeah. effectively no melee weapons so yes well, well, in all fairness, they do have claws and a bite. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> they're, they're lizard men, right? That's true. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose, yeah, the lizard men are quite potent. On, I mean, and, and so in my other game, there is a lizard man PC, and he's basically the size of a pony. And he's, uh, yeah. he's quite ridiculous in, in what he can do. I think you talked about in another podcast, the Minotaur PC. So it's a similar issue here. So you, you can create a very, very potent or physically potent PC if you, you know, if you wanted to and you allowed it. But, it, you know, it comes with some other drawbacks as well. There is a question of how to introduce new PCs into the, into the campaign, let's say if they were kind of outsiders. What do you think about the, the best way of doing that because the setting is so dangerous so i mean i mean the 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 easy way of course is that they come from whatever civilization is there if you've got if you're running a colonist campaign then there was a ship that came in that brought supplies and somebody somebody decided to stay mm. uh, that seems that seems pretty obvious if you are out in the jungle somewhere that's going to be a much much different different uh, thing to do Perhaps, perhaps you run into, say, one of the sort of one of the uh, serpent men, uh, <laughs> slave caravans, and they were captured. Yeah, um, that might be a really good way to do it, and that provide them with the opportunity to do that, or rescuing somebody from being, uh, you know, ritually sacrificed by the savages might be an interesting way to, to go about it. I can yes. imagine that the the power of uh, having a colonist head when shrunken down and having their spirit <laughs> bound to it might be pretty awesome. 
Yeah. The colony is well detailed, and we do get a, a picture of a tribal village, which is quite well detailed. And the other thing that we get is a lot of detail about a nearby city, so one of the cities of serpent people. And one of the things that's, that strikes me about that is that there's a lot of detail, I think, that it gives a good picture for maybe a GM, but it seems the, the serpent people are so uh, hostile, effectively, to humans. It would be interesting to find a way getting like a human party into the city but there's a lot of detail oh, yeah. there that seems very very dangerous oh it would be it would be a very dangerous sort of thing you would you mm. how you know how you're you're not going to be able to just disguise yourself easily no. you're gonna you know you would almost certainly need magic it would have that it would have that feel of breaking into somewhere where at every moment uh, you are in danger of being discovered. Mm. You might have to work on having, you know, internal allies. Maybe some, maybe some slaves that were captured by, you know, some uh, some lizard man, savage slaves that were captured by the serpent men, and and you know, having some help on the inside to give you a hand with that would be yeah. exceptional. Yeah, that's a nice idea. I mean, I, I suppose that. So it's very very clear in terms of the serpent people is that they are generally quite aloof from the the kind of activities of the lowland tribes they are you know they're only regarding the the colony as as you know potentially disrupting you know whatever it is they're doing and my impression of them is that they uh, they may be not very good at noticing things <laughs> that they consider beneath them so that might oh, yeah. be a way of, of kind of navigating it yeah, it might be. And I mean, a good chunk of them are taking some narcotic that, that allows yeah. them to sleep for a long time. Yeah. And, and they, they're very decadent and post-civilization yep. sort of society where they have slaves that pretty much do all the stuff. They have two ca they have a caste system, you know, a sorcerer caste and a non-sorcerous caste. Yep. It, it should be possible to get through get through that. I mean, the, the colonists and said, OK, this is potentially disruptive, but can I can I control and shape this disruption against my enemies uh, and have mm. it sort of being an internal battle that goes on there? Sort of, you know, right. Game, yeah. Game of Thrones, -y sort of business. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine I can imagine one of the serpent sorcerers taking effectively employing PCs to do something simply to further their own personal interests. And in fact, that's how I'm using one of the sorcerers, Solex, who's detailed in the places of interest. There are a number of places that are detailed, fairly well detailed locations. And, you know, one of the things to notice about that is that these these detailed locations are extremely deadly. They really, yeah, really. Very, so, very so which deadly, one, yeah. Which ones are your favorites in there? So I think Solex is, is maybe my top guy there the sepulcher of solex i think i don't know if he's there is actually a, a source there's a sorceress grimoire that's named after solex but i'm not sure if this so he's a lich of some kind he is in a tomb that's effectively if if he doesn't want to be found you will not find him because it, it seems almost impossible to actually find him he himself is so dangerous that i just i think i just can't imagine a a pc party having any chance against him because of his abilities he's extremely powerful and he's surrounded by very dangerous stuff spirits undead guards traps, traps yeah. the whole caboodle and it's very difficult to get into private chambers basically buried in a rock he's sort of interesting you know as a possibly a source of information and magic and and plots and that kind of thing yeah he, he really is i i'm I, lo I really love the the names that are on most of these locations, they're they're very evocative of the genre. I mean, yeah. you know, this, 
the sepulchral of so solex and we have the heads of enak krakatau <laughs> and the fane of the black god which how yeah. much more sword and sorcery yeah can you get them? <laughs> fane of the black god the, the smoking mirrors yes um the valley of ivory doom yeah. i mean these are very very yeah very particular sort of flavor that goes along with them yes um so so if you've got if you've got something like solex that's running there Mm. Uh, and and he you're, you've decided to put him into your game. How how are you avoiding uh, just outright killing all your players or killing all your characters? So I, I think... hope you're not killing your characters. <laughs> yeah, players, so. killing all players. I mean, with him, uh, he's a patron. He's effectively a patron. So the PCs have encountered him in his chamber through another NPC giving directions. Uh, he is extremely powerful, but he's confined to his tomb. He can see outside of it, so it describes the d description of him is that he's got, you know, he's got, because of his spells, he can see outside. But he doesn't have any contact with the world and the living world, so if he wants anything from there, which he does, then, you know, he has to deal with people that are alive <laughs> and are active outside. So that's the way I've, I've used him. More from the dynamic duo in the next episode but while their voices are still echoing in your head, it seems only appropriate to tell you about the other projects that they are involved in. If you want to read more about the rules and have discussions answered by experts, then do head over to their Discord channel. They have a huge amount of knowledge between them and they have a thriving community over there. The link is in the show notes below, so do pop over and have a chat with them. They are truly fantastic. But wait, not only have they created the Discord channel, they now have their very own podcast, all to do with Mithras called Opposed Roles, with some excellent artwork. Do make sure that you check out their recent episode on action points in Mithras. Many of us probably started our role-playing experience clustered around a table in someone's dining room, garage or basement, perhaps with a GM screen and a bag slash tin of full of dice. The table would be adorned by floor plans and carefully painted figures, and by the end of the session, the once prestige character sheets had scribbles all over them and the remnants of the adventure on the table was accompanied with the empty snack packages and the multitude of pop slash soda cans. When I came back to playing RPGs many years after these fond sessions of the past, I started off again playing virtually, streaming our sessions on Twitch. This is, of course, not everyone's preferred playing style, but in these stay-at-home, social distancing and stay-safe times, the use of the internet allows us to continue to play and enjoy our RPG sessions. So, just to complete this month's episode, I wanted to provide you with an insight to the tools which we use in our gaming sessions, which allow us to continue to meet and play during these difficult times. I have to say, by way of a disclaimer, there is no sponsor deal here, and I'm just talking about the tools I use from our point of view. Okay, so Roll20 is our virtual platform of choice. This initially is free, although you can pay a subscription in order to gain extra highlights like dynamic lighting. 
There has been a Mithras character sheet for the rules set on Roll20 for some time, which allows the players to roll dice and engage with skills very effectively. The sheets also allow us as GMs to import mobs from the Mithras encounter generator, so you can have everything at your fingertips. It also has a very good marketplace or store, which allows you to purchase ready-made maps slash floor plans. I frequently utilize this option mainly because I have limited time to create these, plus they are great starting point for adventure ideas. Roll20 does provide the option to host video and sound within it, although we soon found that this was not the best system for this. It was great to start off with, but we soon moved to other platforms. We never use Skype, but Discord is free and you can use voice chats to communicate very effectively. I actually have purchased Zoom for our group. I try and use the money that I make via streaming and hopefully one day with YouTube. You must have over 1000 subs before you can start monetizing on YouTube to offset the cost of this Zoom purchase. It has been very stable and does not need additional software at all once you have an account created. I do really like using Discord as well in between sessions. This is great for communicating rules which have been discussed within the gaming sessions, as well as encouraging players to delve deeper into their characters. Frequently, I will have between session discussions with players about how they wish to develop their characters more. So I hope this provides you with some ideas about what to use to take your game virtually through these times. If you have any questions about how we do things, then please do send them to me via email or the forums which I frequent. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters completed. I hope you have enjoyed this month's episode and sorry once again for missing last month's. Please stay safe and healthy. These are difficult times, but they will pass and soon we will be back socializing and smiling. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all again in June. Until then, I hope all your opposed worlds succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everybody. See ya. Bye. of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.